gotta give that up for that. Woo! All right, look, every week, Jalen, every week, that's what we need. Oh, man. You have no idea how that makes my heart feel. Woohoo! All right, that, this is a perfect way to start Holy Week. Palm Sunday. The idea that Jesus, King of all kings, creator of the universe, is riding in triumphantly into the city of Jerusalem. And people were singing. And they were saying, Hosanna, this adoration, this joy. And so that's why we started out with that. And we are so excited about this week. But there's a little twist that happens just that week, a few days later. They go from this joy to another emotion. Andrew Kim's going to walk us through that uh, today. And so we're excited about that. You know, because we're in Holy Week, because we're on Palm Sunday, we know that what's coming up quick is Good Friday and Easter. And Dave Wilson, who is one of our founding pastors, lead pastor at the Orient Campus, he's got a message for us for Easter. We're excited about what God has given us for Good Friday and Easter. Check this out. Every magic trick has three acts, and we believe the story of Easter has three acts as well. This Easter season, we are so excited to invite you to a series we are calling The Greatest Show on earth. Our team has been working to create a three-part journey that begins at Palm Sunday, laying out the story of Jesus' entry to the city of Jerusalem as just an ordinary man on a donkey to his extraordinary act of love on Good Friday. Everything culminates on Easter Sunday as we celebrate Jesus raising from the dead in the most amazing, death-defying act in all of history. A magician knows the secret behind the illusion, but with the story of Jesus, there is no illusion. We believe that this amazing story is all actually real. Join us as we reveal the hidden secrets to this story and see for ourselves the miraculous gift that is offered to each of us through the greatest show on earth. And so we're actually going to be looking at Palm Sunday and Good Friday and Easter as one journey. And we're kind of looking through a lens of this musician, uh, magician's illusion. And we know that Jesus was not an illusion. We really believe he's rooted in history and he is exactly who he says he is. But who is this man? And we're going to look at that question today. If you are interested in Good Friday and Easter tickets, here's what I'd say to you. This is perfect to invite friends and neighbors. And uh, when you leave us some invites, you can get your tickets right here. Uh, KensingtonChurch.org forward slash Easter. There's no charge for the tickets. We do that so that we can make sure that each service has enough seats. Uh, for everyone. So please go and download those tickets, grab them, invite people, and uh, let's pack this place. And so right about two weeks after Easter, as we talk about uh, Jesus being the resurrection of life and a new way to life, two weeks after Easter, we're going to do baptism services. And that is some of the most powerful services we do. I remember for me, this Easter is going to be 18 years that I met Christ and came to Christ. And uh, 14 years since my wife and I, Amy, got baptized together. And we know there's nothing magical in the water. But what it symbolizes is your old life going down, Christ washing that away. And when you come up, you're made into a new creation. If you've been feeling that tug on your heart to do this. No matter where you're at in the journey, you know, I've had some awesome times to baptize people in their 80s and eight-year-olds. You know, it's just beautiful times. So, uh, kensingchurch.org forward slash baptism, it will walk you through the process. If you have any questions, you can ask any of us as well. One more opportunity that we have is something that we're calling Move Out Conference. Because as you come into your faith in Christ, as you get baptized, as you move through that journey, God is creating you for purpose. 
and creating you for his purposes. And we're doing something called Move Out Conference where I believe a lot of that, those questions will be answered. Uh, great, per, great people that are going to be there. Craig Mays is a good, good friend of, of our families and for me personally. He was here, a pastor here for a long time. Uh, he's now in New York. He's the CEO of the New York Rescue Mission, which is one of the biggest missions in the world. And he and Chris are just doing unbelievable stuff in New York. Dave Gibbons is a new friend of mine and a new friend of Kensington. He walked us through an incredible teaching uh, that he does. And I really believe if you've always longed to say, what am I made for? What is my purpose? How am I connected into a bigger community? And how do I move out into this world to do God's work? This is the place for you. So kensingtonchurch.org forward slash move out. Sound good? All right, so one more uh, bit of celebration and then even invitation. Uh, last week, we did what we called Pledge Weekend, where we were part of being uh, asking you to enter in. Many of you haven't been here over the last couple of years. We started a campaign, a capital campaign, two years ago. It's a three-year campaign. We've got one year left, and last year we had a number of pledges come up to say, I want to be part of this last year. In your programs, there's you can read about that. You can also have a, a piece of... Uh, uh, the program that you can fill out and be part of that. If you want to still do that, you can do that today. Fill that out. If, I know over the past week, we've got a number of phone calls that say, hey, I wasn't there last week, but I want to be part of this. And so you can put that right in the offering pouch. Well, as we move forward through this day, there's a lot of people coming in. Here's what I'd like you to do. Uh, we do something called the Kensington Crunch. And I don't want you to just stand up and sit down. But I want you to stand up, meet someone new, and then I want you to crunch into the middle. Here's why we do that. So that we have our guests have aisle row seats. So it's taking care of our new people. So when you stand up, just move into the center. Greet someone and tell them what you're going to do this week. of three parts or acts. The first part is called the pledge. The magician shows you something ordinary, a deck of cards, a bird, or a man. He shows you this object. Perhaps he asks you to inspect it, to see that it is indeed real, unaltered, normal. But of course, it probably isn't. All right, how many of you are thinking, where's the rest of it? Anyone thinking that? Come on now. How many of you are thinking that, right? They did a great job, but you're probably thinking, that's it? Right? Where's the trick? Where's the illusion? And the great thing about it is, it's a great teaser. To see the rest of it, we'd love for you to come back on Good Friday as well as Easter weekend. Doesn't it leave you wanting more? Come on, it's great. Um, but it's fantastic. And what we just saw, of course, wasn't the whole thing, right? We all know that. But it was simply act one of the illusion. 
And if you've seen any great illusion, what you know is that it has three acts. And the first act, what we just saw, is called the pledge. And it's where a magician shows you something that appears to be ordinary, but chances are it's not. And then comes act two, which is called the turn. And it's where a magician will take something that is ordinary and do something extraordinary. It's where he or she makes something disappear or turns one thing into another. And when that happens, all of us, we look for the secret because we want to know how they did it. But chances are we won't find it because we're probably not really looking, at least not in the right places anyways. And at that point, none of us would clap. Because you know what? You and I have high standards, and it's not enough to make something disappear. It's not enough to turn one thing into another. You have to be able to bring it back. And that's why every great illusion has a third act, which is oftentimes the most difficult part. And what that's called is that it's called the prestige. And starting today, which marks the beginning of Holy Week, we're going to be looking at the journey of Jesus in going from king to cross to resurrection through the framework of these three acts of an illusion. And today, we're going to start out by looking at Act 1, which is called the Pledge, as I mentioned. And the Pledge is where a magician, again, shows you something that appears to be ordinary, but it probably isn't. And on Palm Sunday, more than 2,000 years ago, what God showed us was that he showed us something that appeared to be ordinary a man named Jesus riding into the city of Jerusalem on a donkey. And when Jesus arrived in the city, when he entered into the city, the people were cheering, the people were celebrating, recognizing that he was their king, the savior of the world. But what they didn't understand was a type of king that he came to be. And when they finally figured that out, things quickly turned. And we're about to step into a moment which details the journey that they experienced. Because when Jesus arrived, they were thrilled. They were excited. There was a sense of exhilaration. Because their Messiah, the King, that they had been waiting centuries for had finally come. And you know what they said? They said, Hosanna. And they praised God. But like I said, when they finally figured out why he had come, things quickly changed. Come tell everyone there's a stirring in the air. As children run to fill the streets, they're yelling, open up the gates. Come one and all, come old and young to see the city come alive. The beating drum. The people shout, they say the king, the king has come. The earth cannot be silenced, so let your song be heard. Hosanna, 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 blessed is he.
afraid of our hard questions. 
We thank you, God, that when we ask questions like this, who are you? That rather than moving away from us, God, you enter into the situation and you meet us where we are, God. And I pray, Lord, wherever we are, God, that this is a question that we would be asking this week, God, who are you in our lives? And that you would reveal to us who you are in a greater way. And thank you, Lord, as we take this journey this week on Holy Week and looking at what you did for us and going from king to cross to resurrection, that we are able to see more of your beauty, more of your love, more of your sacrifice, God. And so we thank you and we pray these things in your son's name. And so what we just experienced is what the people in Jerusalem experienced more than 2,000 years ago, in that they went from this place of excitement, this sense of exhilaration, in saying, Hosanna, because their Messiah was here. And they went from that place to then asking the question, who is this? Because that was not. And when they looked at Jesus a few days later, that was not the Messiah they wanted, and that was not the Messiah they expected. And you might be wondering, how in the world did that happen? And one of, the, one of the things that happened was, was that they believed that they understood who the Messiah was, that they understood that why, they understood, they believed they understood anyways, why the purpose as to why he was supposed to come. But ultimately in the end, when you see that, they really didn't. And has anything like that happened to you before, where you thought you knew reality, that you were seeing things correctly? And so you missed the clues that told you something different. Because God provided them, as we're going to see in the passage today, God provided the Jews with clues. But they believed that they knew. They believed that they saw things correctly, that they totally missed them. And I remember it happened one time, it's happened a lot of times in my life actually, but one time that it happened... It was a number of years ago, and I was in college at the time. And it was one summer, and I decided to go and visit my sister in San Francisco because she was living there at the time. And if you go to San Francisco, one of the places that you have to go is you have to go to Fisherman's Wharf. Anyone been there before? Okay, so several of you have. And so one day, I was going to go, and I was going to go visit Fisherman's Wharf. But before I left, my sister, she took some time, and she specifically took me aside, and she said to me, when you go there... Be careful, because there are going to be people who might try to trick you, people who might try to scam you out of your money. So just be careful. And so to me, I was like, thank you, and that was clue number one. But to me, when she said that, I was like, you know what? No big deal, right? I'm a big boy. I can handle myself. So I basically just brushed off her advice, and I said, I think I'll be okay. And so I went down to Fisherman's Wharf, and one of the first things that I saw when I got there was that there was this small crowd that had gathered around this man. And this man was performing something called, I think it's called the cup and ball trick, right? And what he was doing was, was that he had these three cups in front of him and a small ball. And then he would move the cups around, and the ball would move around underneath the cups. And then after a short time, the person standing in front of them he would ask that person, hey, I want you to point to the cup that you think the ball is under. And if they got it right, right, they would, first of all, they would put down money. And if they got it right, he would double their money. And so a couple people came forward and every single one of them, they won. And so I was thinking in my head, this is the easiest thing ever. I can just double my money. And I was a poor college student, so I needed more money. So I was thinking, I'm going to do this. And so I made that decision. 
But the moment I made that decision, there was a thought that entered into my mind that said, don't do it. Don't do it. It's too good to be true. But, I, but I, you know what I said to that thought? That thought's probably just a fleeting thought. I'm not going to listen to that thought. So I said, I'm still going to go ahead with it. And I remember I took one step forward, and the woman beside me said out loud, I didn't know her, but she said, it's, this is such a scam. Another clue. <laughs> right? Another clue that probably this wasn't the best idea. But I, so I heard her, but I said, you know what? She don't know what you're talking about. And so I just, I just walked up to him, and I put down some money. And I'm not going to tell you how much money it was, but it was a lot of money to me back then as a poor college student. So I put down some money, and he started shuffling. He started moving the cups and moving the ball. And then after a short time, he asked me, I want you to point to the cup that you think the ball is under. And so I did. And how many of you, how many of you think that I won? Anyone in the room? <laughs> Nobody. Wow. There's like no confidence in me. Awesome. Thank you. And of course I didn't. Right? I pointed to a cup. It wasn't there. I actually pointed to another cup, and it wasn't there. And of course, that, that's because the ball was gone, right? It wasn't under any of the cups. It was a trick. And all of the clues, the thought that entered into my head, the woman standing beside me, my sister, they all were clues that pointed to the fact that this was a scam. But I believe that I knew what was true, what was right. I thought that I was seeing reality correctly, that I ignored these clues that told me something different. And that's what we're going to see in our passage today. And that the people who were in Jerusalem more than 2,000 years ago on Palm Sunday, they thought they knew what was correct. They thought they knew about the Messiah and who he was all about. But as we'll see, they missed the clues that God provided that showed them what true reality was and who he truly was and why he had come. And so let's read the beginning of our passage today, which comes from the New Testament book of Luke. And Luke is the one who wrote this account, and he was a doctor. And this is what he writes at the start. He says, After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? They replied, the Lord needs it. And so what we see in the very first portion of our passage today is that Jesus is getting ready to ride a donkey. Not really all that spectacular. But when you look a little bit deeper into the passage, which goes all the way to verse 44, what you see is that God provided us with four clues that will open our eyes to what was truly going on. And what clue number one was, clue number one was the donkey that we just read about. And honestly, Jesus, in entering into Jerusalem, he could have chosen to ride in on anything. He could have chosen a horse. He could have chosen a chariot, which would have been a lot more glamorous. But he chose a donkey. And the reason why he chose a donkey was to fulfill a more than 500-year-old prophecy about the Messiah that said this. It says, Rejoice, O people of Zion. Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He's righteous and victorious, yet he's humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. And so Jesus 
chose a donkey to ride into Jerusalem on. And the reason why he chose a donkey was because he wanted to communicate three things through doing this. The first thing was, was that he wanted to communicate that he was the Messiah. Because as we just read, it said the Messiah would come riding in on a donkey. So he was fulfilling this prophecy. And by riding in on a donkey, Jesus was telling everybody, you know what? I'm the Messiah. I'm the Savior of the world. The one that you guys have been waiting centuries for. The one that the prophets in the Old Testament promised would come. The one who would bring life and liberty to you. I'm here. That's one of the things that he was saying. But in riding in on a donkey, Jesus was also saying, I've come in humility. Because as we just read in this passage, it says, yet he is humble. Meaning the Messiah is humble because he's riding in on a donkey. Because as I mentioned, a donkey wasn't a glamorous ride. Because if you wanted something glamorous to ride in on, you probably would have chosen a horse or a chariot, not a donkey. Because a donkey was a lowly animal. And so the incredible thing here is, is that Jesus is the king. He's the Messiah, the savior. And he's riding a donkey? Really? It's sort of like in our culture today. If an A-list celebrity was going to a huge red carpet event, if they arrived in an old banged-up Toyota Corolla, my car, rather than something like a Rolls Royce, which all of us would probably expect that they would ride in on or come in. And I think Danny Cox actually drives a Rolls Royce. And so I don't know about that. But that's one of the things. is that Jesus is riding in on a donkey. And he is communicating, you know what? I'm coming in a spirit of humility. But at the same time, in riding in on a donkey, Jesus was also communicating that I came to bring peace, not war. Because horses and chariots were associated with warfare, but donkeys, they were associated with peace. And so what we see at the very beginning of our passage is that we see, we're able to uncover an incredible clue that opens our eyes to what was really going on. That Jesus wasn't just a man on a donkey, But who he was was that he was the Messiah, the Savior of the world, who came in humility to bring peace. That was clue number one. Clue number two were the cloaks as well as the palm branches. Because this is what Luke writes. In verses 35 and 36, he says, They, meaning the disciples, they brought the donkey to Jesus. They threw their cloaks on the colt and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. And so Jesus is, what's going on is that Jesus is entering into Jerusalem and people start taking off their cloaks. And so a cloak was the outer portion of what somebody would wear. And so they start taking this off and they start putting them down on the ground. They basically start carpeting the path in front of Jesus. But not only did they put their cloaks down, but because if you also read Matthew's account of this story, they also would take off palm branches and put it on the ground as well. And something that we have to understand is that This treatment, everyone didn't receive this, but it was only reserved for a king. Only for kings. And you see one example of it in the Old Testament with this man named Jehu when he was crowned king of Israel. And it says, they quickly took their cloaks, meaning they took their cloaks off and spread them under him on the bare steps. Then they blew the trumpet and shouted, Jehu is king. It was this man Jehu's coronation. And to show respect, to honor him because he was their king, they took their cloaks off and they put it down. Same idea here. In doing this, they were saying, Jesus, we recognize that you are our king. And so you got to imagine what was going on. 
Jesus is entering into Jerusalem riding in on a donkey. And there weren't just like 10 people who were there. There were thousands of people who had come out and who were lining the streets. And I can imagine that a lot of them, they were probably yelling out Jesus' name. And they were saying, Jesus, Jesus. And they might have even been saying, crying out, Messiah, Savior, that he had finally come. And they were jockeying for position because they wanted to catch a glimpse of this man who they had heard so much about. This man who had done things that had never been done before in history. And people, while he was riding in, they were taking off their cloaks. They were taking palm branches and carpeting the ground in front of him. Because he was their king. And when I imagine this scene, I think of a scene, probably the closest thing in our culture would sort of be like the Oscars. Huge event every single year. And for the Oscars, what they do is it's a red carpet event. So they roll that red carpet out. So when those celebrities come, they don't have to walk on the pavement like you and me. But they get to, but they get to walk on that red carpet. And when those A-list celebrities arrive, the fans start screaming. They start jockeying for position because they want to catch a glimpse of their favorite star. That's sort of like the scene here. Because Jesus wasn't just any person. He was the Messiah, their king had come. And the people, all of these people, these thousands of people, they came out because they understood that this was a special moment in history. But what they didn't understand was the type of king they wanted and the type of king they expected wasn't the type of king that Jesus came to be. Clue number two. Clue number three was a singing. So clue number one was a donkey. Clue number two were the cloaks as well as the palm branches. Clue number three was when Jesus was entering into Jerusalem, they sang a song. And this is what Luke writes. He says, when he, meaning Jesus, came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to, pray, began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples. But Jesus said, I tell you, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. So they were singing. And what they were singing wasn't just any song, but the words that they were singing actually came from this Old Testament book called the Psalms. It's Psalm 118. And in that Psalm, it talks about the Messiah. And so in singing these words, what the people were doing was that they were singing, you know what? They were saying that this is our Messiah. This is the Savior of the world that we have been waiting centuries for. But again, what the people didn't understand was the type of king they expected and the type of king that they wanted wasn't the type of king that Jesus came to be. And so when you read this account, and so Jesus is entering into Jerusalem. People are cheering for him. People are so excited and they're like losing their minds that he has finally come. If you were there more than 2,000 years ago, if I was there more than 2,000 years ago and looking at this scene, we would have thought, you know what? This is amazing. This is probably exactly what Jesus wants. He must be thrilled. But as we'll see in the last portion of our passage, Jesus wasn't celebrating. He wasn't thrilled. His, his response was actually the total opposite, which is clue number four, in that he was weeping. And Luke writes, as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, 
but now it's hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. And so Jesus wasn't celebrating. He was weeping. He was crying. And the reason why Jesus was weeping was because he understood that they had totally missed the point. Because the people understood that when their Messiah came, when their Savior came, that he would bring salvation. But salvation to them meant something very different than it did to Jesus. Because salvation to the people who were there that day meant freedom, meant liberation from foreign rule, Roman rule. Because they were being ruled and oppressed by the Romans at the time. That's what it meant. But the reason why Jesus came was so much bigger than that. And you might be wondering, how in the world did they miss it that badly? How can you miss it that much? They're not even in the same ballpark. And the reason why they missed it so badly is because when you look at the Old Testament, which they would have been very, very familiar with, that Hebrew word that we translate as salvation, what it means is that it means rescue and deliverance. But it doesn't mean rescue and deliverance from sins, but it predominantly means rescue and deliverance from difficulties, from sickness, trouble, fear, and one's enemies. And one of the places that we see this is where King David, and King David was the second king of Israel. He's the guy who killed Goliath, where he was running from his life from the first king of Israel, who was Saul. And this is what it says. And David says, my God is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation. He's saying, God, you're my rescuer and you're my deliverer. You're the one who will rescue me from my enemies, from trouble. You're my salvation. You will save me in this sense from trouble and enemies and difficulties. He is my stronghold, my refuge and my savior from violent people. You save me. And when you look at the Old Testament, this is how that word salvation is used over and over and over again. And that's why the people thought when our Messiah comes, when our Savior comes, he's going to liberate us. He's going to rescue us from our enemies, from difficulties and trouble. But the reason why Jesus came wasn't to save the Jews from the Romans because it was so much bigger than that. It wasn't to save just one people, but it was to save all people, all of humanity from their sins. And when the people who were there, when the Jews finally figured it out, that he wouldn't do what they wanted, that he wouldn't do what they expected, shouts of Hosanna turned to shouts of crucify him and kill him. And Jesus knew that day that these people who were shouting all of these amazing things about who he was, eventually a few days later, that they would reject him and ultimately God's plan. And because they would make that decision, he also knew that God's judgment would come upon the city of Jerusalem and it would devastate it, which we just read. And so he was heartbroken and he was sad and that's why he wept. And this event that we just went through is the first act. It's the pledge. And the pledge, if you remember, is where the magician shows you something that appears to be ordinary, but it's probably anything but that. And on Palm Sunday, more than 2,000 years ago, God showed us something that appeared to be ordinary, a man named Jesus riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. But when you look a little bit deeper 
at the passage and a little closer at the passage, what you're able to see was that it was anything but ordinary, but what it was was truly extraordinary. And last week, another extraordinary thing happened here in our community in that so many of you chose to jump in and to be a part of our Everyone campaign. And some of you decided to start up, others of you decided to stay in, others of you decided to step up. And this past week, we received more than 50 emails from people just asking, hey, you know what, can I still be a part of it? Maybe they weren't here last week, or maybe they just needed a little bit more time to decide, but they said, hey, can we still be a part of it? And so all of you should have received the Everyone campaign brochure when you came in. And so if you would like to be a part of this incredible campaign, we'd love for you today to just fill it out. And when the offering baskets are coming around, you could just put it in. Or if you didn't receive a brochure, you can just grab one on the way out and you can just drop it by our info center as well. And so at this time, I want to invite the ushers to come forward to receive our offering. And if this is your first time with us, first of all, let me say we are so happy that you're here. But please do not feel any obligation to give because this doesn't have to be your moment. But instead, what we'd love for you to do is to go out after the service into the lobby and to drop by our starting point table. And it's out in the lobby towards your right, and you'll see them. They have bright orange shirts on that say starting point in the front. But what we see when Jesus was entering into Jerusalem is that When you look at it, it seems ordinary in many ways. But in so many other ways, when you look at it a lot closer, it was truly extraordinary. But the thing was, was that so many people missed it. Because they didn't want a king. They didn't want a king who was humble, riding in on a donkey. Because what they wanted was a military leader who would free them, who would liberate them from Roman rule. And when they learned that Jesus wouldn't do this, that he wouldn't do what they wanted. What they did was that they rejected him. Sound familiar? It does to me. Because I've been thinking about this this past week, and it's something that I so often do in my life, and probably that many of you do as well. Because this is such an important truth. Because for so many of us, we want the God we want, not the God who is. We want the God we want, not the God who is. We want a God who will do what we want him to do, what we expect him to do. We want a God who will fit nicely into our plans, our agenda, into our, that corner of our life. We want to create a box and say to God, God, stay within these parameters and don't try to bust out. Maybe others of us, I know this is true of me, is that the way that we view Jesus is that we view him as a means to our own end. Because for so many of us, what we want in our lives is that we want a good job. We want a great family. We want good relationships. We want a long and healthy, sometimes problem-free, disappointment-free life. And none of those things are bad. But oftentimes how we view Jesus is that we say to Jesus, hey, you know what? I want you to be the means to that end. And as long as you're willing to do that, we're going to be totally fine. But as soon as Jesus breaks out of that box, breaks out of those expectations and asks us, I don't want you to move in that direction, but rather I want you to move in this direction and asks us to do something that is not a part of our agenda, our plans, then we start having a problem. And some of us, we start reevaluating whether we really want to be in this. Because as I mentioned, we want the God we want, not the God who is. And growing up as a kid, 
All I wanted to be when I grew up was a doctor. That's all I wanted to do ever since I can remember as a kid. And the reason why I wanted to be a doctor really was for two reasons. I wanted the respect. I wanted people to call me doctor. And so when I grew up, if I was, actually had become a doctor, if people said, oh, Mr. Andrew Kim, I would have said, oh, no, 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 no. Dr. Andrew Kim, I'm sorry you have that wrong. So I wanted the respect. I wanted the prestige, too, that comes with it. But at the same time, I also wanted the money. Because then one of the reasons why I wanted the money was that I wanted to be able to support my mom, who's been a single parent since I was four and worked so hard to support my family growing up. So I wanted to help her. But at the same time, I also wanted nice things. I wanted to drive a nice car. I wanted to have a nice house. And so everything that I did growing up was geared to me going to med school and eventually becoming a doctor. All my volunteer work was me thinking, you know what, this is going to be great in putting this on my med school application. I studied so hard. I had no fun in school, none, because I was so busy studying because I wanted to go to med school. And that was my plan. But in my junior year of college, God said to me, Andrew, that's not the path that I want you to take in your life. But rather, what I want you to do is I want you to go into ministry. And when he said that, I was thinking, really? What? Ministry? And I remember one of the first responses that I had was, God, why are you trying to ruin my life? Because I want you to stay right over here, right? Right over here, right? Don't move any further. Don't try to break out of that box, right? Stay right there because that's where I'm comfortable with you being. So why are you trying to do this? Because I don't want to move in that direction. And to me, you know what ministry meant? Ministry meant one of two things. It either meant being a pastor. And in my mind at that time, pastor equals poor. And so if I'm going to be a pastor, <laughs> goodbye to that nice car. Goodbye to that beautiful house. Or worse yet, the second thing that it meant to me, which could potentially happen. And I was thinking, if I don't become a pastor, what if God asked me to be a missionary? That was even worse to me because that was not even, that meant, you know what? I'm not only going to be poor, but I'm going to have to live in a foreign country. And I was thinking, what if I have to live? Because I grew up in Canada and I was thinking, what if I have to live in the United States? What if God asked me to do that? I don't think I have that much faith. I don't think I could do that. And so that's what I was thinking. And so this is the conversation that we were having. And I was thinking, God, this is not what I want to do with my life. And so for the next two weeks, we struggled because I would not let this go. And he wouldn't let this go. And so during those two weeks, I felt so many different emotions. I felt disappointment, fear, anger, frustration. And God just kept coming and he wouldn't let it go. And I tried to get him off my back. I tried even lying to him and saying, all right, God, God all right, God, if that's what you want me to do, I'll do it. When I had absolutely no intention of doing it. I was trying to bait and switch him or something like that. And so... But obviously, he knows what I was thinking. He knows my heart. And so he just kept coming. And so at the two-week mark, I said, I am exhausted. I am so tired of struggling. And I said to God, you know what? You have never let me down. You have walked with me through some of the most difficult times, all of the most difficult times in my life. And I know you want the absolute best for me. So if this is what you want me to do, I'll do it. And one night... I laid down my dreams and I picked up his for my life. And honestly, ever since then, it's been one of the most incredible, it's probably one of the most incredible decisions I made because ever since then, my life has been something that I never, ever dreamed that it could be. But one of the things that I learned through that experience was this important truth. 
is that we want the God we want, not the God who is. But the God who is, is the God so many of us, not so many of us, actually all of us, we so desperately need. Let me say that again. We want the God we want, not the God who is. But the God who is, is the God that all of us, we so desperately need. And as we looked at today, when Jesus entered into the city of Jerusalem, there was exhilaration, there was excitement. But when the people finally understood that he wouldn't fulfill their expectations, he wouldn't fulfill their desires of what they believed a Messiah should be, they turned on him. And they looked at him and they said, who is this? Who are you? You're not the Messiah that we thought, who, that we thought would come. They asked that very, very important question, who is this? And I believe that's a question that so many of us have to ask as well. Who is this? Who is Jesus to us? Because for some of us here today, Jesus may be just a great moral person, somebody that we respect, lived a great moral life, had the great values. And so we want to emulate him. We want to teach our children to emulate him. For others of us, who Jesus is is simply a means to our end. And that as long as Jesus gives us that good, happy life, allows us to keep that great paying job, allows us to have a happy family, you know what? We're good with Jesus. But as soon as he steps out, then we have problems. Others of us, we may call Jesus Lord and Savior, but we basically relegated him to this little portion of our lives. We created this little tiny box for him to, co to exist in. And we say, Jesus, just stay within your parameters and we're going to be good. But who is Jesus to you? And I think that's such an important question for us to ask this week as we journey through the life of Jesus and what he did on Holy Week. Because if we ask that question, one of the things that I know that Jesus will do is that if we lean into him and ask him, who are you, Jesus? That he'll meet us where we are and that he will show us more of who he is and his heart for us. And that we're gonna come to understand that Jesus is bigger than any box that we could create for him. He is bigger than any expectation that we can have and he will blow all of our desires away. So who is Jesus to you? And in a moment, I'm gonna pray. And afterwards, we're gonna sing a song called Forever that reminds us of who Jesus is and the reason why he came. Because the reason why he came wasn't to save just some people, but rather his desire was to save, the reason why he came was to save all people from their sins. The reason why Jesus came was not to make good people better, but rather it was to bring dead people to life. And that's what we are remembering. That's what we are celebrating during Holy Week. So who is Jesus to you? Who is Jesus in your life? Let's pray. God, we thank you that you came. We thank you that you came to save us, God. And we recognize, Jesus, that you want not just a portion of our lives, but you want all of who we are. And so I pray that for every single one of us that we would be asking this question, who are you, Jesus? And no matter where we are in this journey, God, that we recognize, Jesus, that we recognize that when we lean into you and when we ask you this question, that you will meet us where we are and that you will open our eyes and you will reveal to us more of who you are and your passion, your love for us. And so we thank you, God. Thank you, Lord, 
for coming. Thank you for dying for us and doing something for us that we could not do for ourselves. And we pray these things in your name.
So today we looked at Act 1, the pledge, and Act 2 will be on Good Friday. Act 3 will come this Easter weekend. And so we'd love for you to come, and not just come by yourself, but invite somebody to come with you. And if you're going to be here on Easter weekend, we'd love for you to go to our app, go to the website, grab some tickets. And a great way, we'd love for you also to grab one of these cards going out. And it's not only information for all of us, but it's also a great way to invite somebody. So we'd love for you to come back for the rest of the series. Also, our prayer team is going to be in the front. So if you would like to receive prayer, if you would like somebody to pray with you, we'd love for you to come up front. Thanks so much for coming, everyone. Have a wonderful, wonderful rest of your Sunday.